And greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Shabbat Shalom. It's great to be back. Had a week of uh, rest, but it's great to be back. Greet one another, those of you joining live in the chat. And if you are watching a little bit later, put some comments down in the comment section. It really helps one another connect. And you can always go to torahtothetribes.com forward slash connect and you can connect with one another six days a week. We've got various platforms. Of course, the most popular is the Shabbat Fellowship where people meet every Sabbath morning, nine o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and they meet and greet one another and spend several hours breaking bread, drinking coffee, and chatting about all things Torah, all things holy, sober, and kosher. So please join us. And remember, we've got the upcoming Passover, and that is on the um, Monday the 1st of April. Registration is available. You can go to the, where is it? <laughs> Drawing a blank. I know it's Torah to the tribes, forward slash connect. There we go. I just already said it. Scroll down to biblical feasts. I totally had a memory blank there. What's happening to me? <sighs> I haven't even started yet. It goes on to Wednesday, April the 3rd. And if you put in the code PASSOVER2024, you can actually get rooms at the Independence Hotel. And they are not fully booked. People have said, oh, well, I, I tried to, and they said they were booked. No, they're not booked. If you have a problem, call them on the telephone. On the telephone and put in the pass, give them the PASSOVER2024 code and you'll get a discount. There's lots of rooms available. So that was an error because there's been some changes over at the hotel. So they are a little confused and befuddled, but there are plenty of rooms available. If you want to get a room, which we recommend, it's beautiful, right on the Willamette River. We will be hosting the Passover, live teachings, prayers, mikvah, great time to break bread, fellowship, and keep the biblical commandments. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, talking about keeping the biblical commandments. Let's turn to Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. We are in the 45th, the 45th chapter. We're here in the 45th parallel of this strange world in which we live, allegedly, um, the 45th parallel. But yes, we are, we are. I think I can agree with that. Um, so let's jump right into the first verse of chapter 45. This says Yahweh to his anointed, to Koresh, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of Melachim, kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates shall not be shut. So last week, I introduced the idea that Isaiah in the 28th verse of chapter 44 foresees a second Koresh. Now, that might be difficult for some to accept, and that's okay. I see it. I believe that Isaiah sees it, and he also introduces that thought in the last chapter, foreseeing a second Koresh that is appointed by Yahuwah 
for an end time restoration. And it's akin to the historical role of Koresh in the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple after the Babylonian exile. Now this Koresh was an unbeliever. And he never became a believer, but he was still used to bring about a mighty, mighty change. I believe that this prophetic end-time parallel includes, listen, the leading of Yahweh's people through trials and tribulations symbolized by Jacob's trouble and orchestrating a spiritual restoration. All of this darkness, all of this mayhem, all of this chaos, it's going to come to an end. There is going to be a spiritual restoration and there is going to be a greater exodus. Don't mark my words, mark the words of the prophets. There is going to be a greater exodus for all 12 tribes. So with that in mind, Let's delve in, because this is a great chapter. I say that all the time, but it is, because it's the word of Yahweh. It is a tonic to my soul, is it not? This Koresh, I believe, and you may disagree, and that's okay, but I believe he will achieve the status of a Yesharun. A Yesharun. Is that what I said? Several weeks. He will achieve the status of a Yesharun, embodying the hope envisioned for Israel by Yah. He will subdue the forces of the globalists. He will subdue the forces of the new world order. I was talking to my son as we were traveling here today, and I said to him, I saw a podcast. It was so interesting. And it was the, the woman, I believe her name is Liz, maybe... I forget the last name, Truss or something, and she was the Prime Minister of England for like 30 days. That was it. And she was on a podcast with um, one of... Um, oh, gee, I'm drawing blanks today. Um, Steve something, Cannon, Buchanan, or somebody who was like one of Trump's people back in the day. Anyway... And she said something which I totally know is true, and I taught it to you. But this is, she was the Prime Minister of England for about 30 days, like the year before last or last year. You can look it up anyway. And she said this. I'm paraphrasing. I'm kind of giving you the sense. And she said this. I believe once I got to the top of the tree that I would be able to make the changes that needed to happen against the system. And she said, once I got to the top of the tree, I realized there were levers in place, mechanisms in place that I had no control on. And that was the Bank of England. And if that is true in the United Kingdom, within the one square mile of the city, could it, is it possible that it could be true in the District of Columbia with the Federal Reserve that is about as federal as Federal Express 
Is it true that there are levers and mechanisms in place that are inherently wicked that run Mystery Babylon, the law merchant of commerce? We are dealing in a world of debt instruments. And she realized that that is the controlling mechanism. They are the ones pulling the levers. Everything is commercial because we are floating on the seas of mystery Babylon. And this Koresh will, he will subdue the forces of the New World Order and the globalists. And it is going to happen in our time. I believe, and you can look at the, you can view it, I would recommend it. I don't agree with, obviously, the pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that we're going to go into the millennium. But there is something that is worth your watching. I think they've done a fabulous job putting it together. Many of you have seen it. It's Messiah 2030. Well, that brings us to Purim 2026 for the start of Jacob's trouble. I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. I'm just saying, if you look at the Messiah 2030, they're going to tell you that's the pre-tribulation rapture because, of course, it's Christian indoctrination. But they've done a very good job on the, on the um, digging out a lot of nuggets of scripture. But if we then back that up, knowing that there is 42 months of Jacob's trouble, and that when is the time of the deception? It's Purim, right? That's the time of deception. So look at what Daniel says about it in the book of Daniel. So brethren, be that as it may, we live in very interesting times, and you need to be asleep with your head in the sand like ostriches. That is what you do not need to be. You must be watchmen on the wall, blowing the shofar, sounding the alarm, being alert, being as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We are Yahuwah's sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. And the wolves are all about the wolves are all about. Is this not fascinating? Well, greetings. Better late than never. Don't mind. All right. Little refresher. I'll have a drink. I'll have a sip from our sponsor. Hmm? Thank you. Liz Truss and Steve Bannon, going back to Liz Truss, the very short prime minister in the UK, and Steve Bannon, who was some kind of an advisor and does like podcasting. Very interesting. Anyway, let's get back on track. This Koresh will be loosing the loins of Melachim, kings. What does this mean, loosing the loins of kings? It represents, I believe, 
the weakening of the power structures, those levers which Liz Truss was talking about, those mechanisms that are in place, whether it be the Bank of England, the Federal Reserve, this international monetary fund, this whole globalist system of represented by prominent leaders such as King Charles, he will bring about a shift in the established order, a shift in the established order. Opening the gates, the scripture says. What does that mean? Signifying, of course, the establishment of a new financial and economic system that is going to be distinct from the current fiat system. We're coming to the end of the New Deal. We're coming to the end. It, it, it cannot be maintained. What FDR implemented can, is not sustainable. The new deal is coming to the end, and they're going to bring in another deal. Will you take it? I'm not taking any deals. <laughs> no deals. No deals. In Hebrew, the term koresh denotes sunrise or a dawn. We're preparing for the millennium. He's a disruptor. He is a disruptor. He's an unbeliever, and he is a disruptor. And he's coming in, and he's going to turn it upside down to bring us into a new dawn. It's the sunrise. It's the symbolism, emergence of this new Koresh figure in the darkness of the end times to bring about a new era of light and restoration. It's happening whether you and I are ostriches or whether we are clarion call sounding the shofars. I choose to be super pumped, super alert and ready for anything, and I'm preparing emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every area of my life, because the wolves are all around us. The wolves are all around us. Look at, I'm only on verse blooming too, goodness I had a double shot of espresso this morning. Got my espresso, my espresso machine to work. Then I went back and I was like, oh, I haven't had that in a long time. So then I had another double shot of espresso. Like, that was really good. Then I had a regular coffee. Then I went back for another double. I mean, I'm just jacked up. But I did go for a little bit of walking in the sunshine. It was so nice today. I will go before you and make the crooked path places straight. That's what I want Yahweh to do in my life these next three weeks, just to make, I've got so many crooked paths right now, and I want Yahweh to make those crooked places straight. So would you pray for me, brethren, right now? Pray for me, please. I have much I'm going through right now, that Yahweh would make the crooked places straight for me. And that he would direct my paths. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut down the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places. That you may know that I, Yahuwah, who call you by name, I am the Elohim of Israel. I know he called me by name. You know he called you by name. I remember when it happened. I know. 
I know. If you don't know that, you need to know that. You need to know. He called you by name. This is divine intervention and deliverance. It is orchestrated by Yahweh, not by the hands of man. Divine intervention and deliverance is orchestrated by the hands of Yahweh. The use of the metaphors, I will go before thee, and the gate shall not be shut. I love these metaphors. The bars of iron. What is this talking about? It's talking about the breaking of those demonic oppressive systems. It's giving liberation to those of us that have been held captive by sin, by mystery Babylon, by the system, by the man. We're going to what? Brass represents there's going to be a divine judgment. There is going to be accountability upon these heathen nations, and there is going to be accountability on these wicked rulers, and it is all coming before the face of Yahuwah. The Hebrew word for brass is nechushah. Nechushah as in brass thing. Remember the serpent on the pole, the brass thing caused what? The serpents to come out. And they're coming out and they're going to try and bite you. They're going to try and bite you, but you have got to look and live. Look and live. You have got to stay. We have got to stay focused. Don't look at the propaganda. They are trying to keep us looking everywhere. We just got to look and live. Look and live. Don't go and hide in your tent because the serpent will come into your tent and bite you in the... Okay? There's no hiding because they're going to try and hide in caves and they're going to get bitten in the We have to look and live. We have to stay focused with all this chaos and distraction. Look for the Koresh. He's coming. So don't be asleep on that. This brass serpent, Nekashu, which is derived from the root Nakash, meaning to divine or to practice divination. This shows that Yahuwah's judgment is like a divine decree that cannot be averted and it cannot be escaped. You can't hide from the master creator, the one true living Elohim. Likewise, when we look at the phrase bars of iron, this is talking about that we're going to be set free from captivity. It's the release of prisoners. It's the breaking down of these oppressive levers and structures of our commercial system in which we live. The Hebrew word for bars of iron is bikri bazel, bikri bazel, where the bazel the Hebrew word Barzel, it means iron. It's representing strength. It's representing durability. And the use of bickery, meaning bars, is suggesting confinement and restriction imposed on individual freedoms. You think 2020 was bad? They are preparing to lock it down like never before. And they, we are shown this with the Hebrew word bickery. There is going to be some serious restrictions imposed on individual freedoms before 2030. 
coming Purim 2026. Look no further, of course, than the book of Luke in chapter 4, verse 18, because Yahushua declares his mission, our mission, is to preach deliverance to the captives and to set at liberty them that are bruised. I've been bruised. You've been bruised. Hey, but you know what? We can stand and we will not break. Also in Revelation in the third chapter, specifically, specifically, not pacifically, that's an ocean, in the seventh verse, it describes Yahushua as the one who has the key of Dawid, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, symbolizing his power, his authority to loose and to bind, to release and to stick them in the hole. Like the hole of the ship. Because I was also talking about snakes that bite. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, because I've got, so got, I got youth in the back, and they're like, my, my, especially my eldest son, he's like. Sometimes it does not translate with the English humor and language. Okay. Goodness gracious. See, now I've lost my whole train of thought. I don't know what's going on with me today. I'm talking about loosing and binding. Yes, thank you. Okay. It's a good job I made some notes. All right. Isaiah, of course, he's speaking about literally. We're looking at Koresh. We're looking at the historical Koresh, literally, the decree that was sent to liberate the Jews from captivity in Babylon. We, I agree, of course, literally. We know that that did come to pass. But allegorically... His words foreshadow that there is going to be a spiritual liberation, brethren, brought about by this Koresh that ultimately is going to bring about the millennium and bring about at the end of the millennium our ultimate redeemer, Yahushua himself, who always is there to break the bonds of sin and set humanity free from captivity. And now the letter noon in the Hebrew, of course, speaks of life and eternity. It's like a, a fish that is swimming and abounding, full of life and the enduring nature of Yahweh's judgment and deliverance. The letter bet, we all know, is house, a dwelling, showing that they're ultimately the restoration of Yahweh's people is their rightful place in his house, full of freedom and security. I don't want to be in the house of mystery Babylon. We were born into it. We were traded and trafficked in it. But that's not our home. Looking at this through the lens of the second Koresh and correlating it with the fulfillment that we see in the Brit Hadashah, I think that there is going to come about a divine judgment. I believe that we will be liberated 
I believe that redemption will abound amongst us for all of us that are currently held captive in mystery Babylon. These mechanisms, these levers, these systems of, of course, the globalist, which is an international monetary fund in a bankrupt commercial realm. All of these nations are using debt instruments and fiat currency, and it can no longer be sustained. And we are seeing that in our very world today as the printing presses of the world continue to pump out deception. Through the power of Yahuwah, and I think a foundation that is going to be laid by this second Koresh, believers will experience the redemptive work of Yahusha. I think we're going to find our freedom freedom from these bondage systems. We're going to experience the true fullness of how to live in this world free under Yahweh's grace, mercy, and deliverance. In verse 4, it says, For Yaakov, for Jacob, my Eved, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have surnamed you, though you have not known me. Here we see Yahweh as the ultimate sovereign. He is the ruler that empowers and guides us. He guides his chosen servant, the second Koresh, for his divine purposes. I think these verses show that Yahweh has the supreme authority over the nations, not presidents, not prime ministers, not kings, and that Yahweh has the ability to bring about redemption and righteousness through his end-time instrument, like the first Koresh, that was an unbeliever. Yahweh identifies Koresh as his chosen instrument for the sake of Jacob and Israel, signifying his sovereignty in selecting and using this individual for his final fulfillment purposes. In verse 5, we see, I am Yahweh, and there's no one else. There is no Elohim beside me. I dressed you, though you have not known me. So this is exclusive sovereignty, is it not? Yahweh's exclusive sovereignty and power as the one true living Elohim. Elohim, that word is a beautiful word. It emphasizes his divine authority and supremacy. Now, even though Koresh has this lack of awareness or acknowledgement of Yahuwah, Yahuwah has equipped and empowered Koresh for his appointed task. Yahuwah has the ability, because he is awesome, to what? Work through flawed individuals. <laughs> Like moi, for example, right? Very flawed, okay? Regardless of their beliefs or backgrounds, he can work through them. Now, the repetition emphasizes this absolute uniqueness and supremacy of Yahweh. That's what we as believers know. 
Isaiah is reinforcing to us here the idea that Yahweh alone is the only source, the ultimate source of power and authority in this world. Oh, they don't want you to believe that. Let's take the commandments out of the, out of the courthouses. Um, let's, you know, let, 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 let's, we don't, we're not going to do any of this in, you know, it's the public re-educational camps. You know, don't believe. I mean, they do not want you to believe in the one true Elohim because they want to be your God. Verse 6. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, and there is none beside me. I am Yahweh, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make shalom. And create evil. I, Yahweh, do all that. Yes, Yahweh created evil. Yahweh declares his. This is a difficult one for some people, especially in the Christian church. Oh, because Yahweh's all good. He's just all love. No, he created evil and chaos. Yahweh declares his sovereignty. Listen to his sovereignty. It's all over creation. Can you hear? Can you hear? Listen. It's a still small voice. He has this ability to bring about both light and darkness, peace and calamity. Sometimes simultaneously. Have you ever experienced it? <laughs> I have a lot this week. The Hebrew word for evil here, I mean, just evil is ra, which can also be translated as calamity, disaster. And Isaiah is speaking to Yahweh about his control over all aspects of existence, all aspects of our life, even the evil, even the darkness. He controls it all. He is the ultimate source of bringing order to the chaos. Casting out the evil. He's the ultimate source and purpose of orchestrating events according to his divine will. Even if you're caught up in the midst of evil. There is hope. Verse 7. I love it. I form the light and create darkness. I make shalom and create evil. I, Yahweh, do all these things. There's a problem in this world. And the problem is evil. Now, is Yahweh the, the direct cause of evil and suffering in the world? Or rather, does he allow people to suffer as consequence of the natural order and human free will? Right? Look. This is hard for some people. But Yahweh created a world with inherent laws and processes. Whether we like it or not. Doesn't matter what you think. He created a world with inherent laws and processes. And a true law does not change. Which can tell you then of all of our ordinances as statutes, are they true, are they laws, or are they colorable? Are they coloring in between the lines? It's colorable law, 
because it's always changing. Because if it was a true law, thou shalt not murder. It's unchanging. It never changes. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But our, our world says, oh, you can do that. No, no, no. True laws do not change from our creator. Man's insanity, that's colorable. That's not true law. It's ever-changing. But let's take the scriptures out of children's education. Then guess what we'll do? We won't teach them civics. And if they don't understand that there's three separate branches of government, and if they don't understand who they are as a people, and we can get them to step into our realm, and then we can bring in two wolves to represent them, guess what? They are sheep to the slaughter. And we'll give them lots of choices and options, but they'll be the ones that we... But you don't realize this. You've got to understand the scripture and you've got to understand natural law from Yahuwah as distinct from men's insanity that is ever-changing and a creation of the mind. It's a creation of the mind, a fiction. It's not reality. It's only reality if you step into the part that they want you to play. It's fascinating. Koresh is going to change all of this. Yahweh created a world with inherent laws and processes. It's called natural law, including the potential for both good and evil outcomes. I believe evil and suffering arise from either the misuse of free will, natural disasters, or other factors inherent in the world's functioning, rather than always being directly caused by Yahuwah. Oh, Yahuwah did this. Hang on a minute. Maybe it was the misuse of your free will. Well, if there was a God, then he wouldn't have let that happen to New Orleans down in 2005. Or that was such a sinful city like Sodom and Gomorrah that the Lord caused chaos and he caused Hurricane Katrina. You insane imbecile. Really? Really? I think that's called blasphemy. You know how many Christian preachers did that? and spoke those kinds of things. How about, it's a natural bloody disaster, you tool shed. How about that there's people down there that are misusing their free will? And how about it's called natural law, including the potential of both good and evil outcomes? Can we be a little bit more balanced? You see what I'm saying? There are natural orders and natural disasters, and there are factors inherent to the world's functioning, rather than always blaming it on Yahuwah. Now, while Yahuwah is omnipotent, I believe he chooses to limit his intervention in the world to respect 
human autonomy and the natural order of things. He's not a tyrant. With this view, I see evil and suffering are not always punishments or tests sent by Yahweh necessarily, but are instead part of the human experience in a world with free will and natural laws. What are you going to do when the wolves come? What are you going to do when you find yourself in a sea of chaos? What are you going to do when evil all surrounds you? It's an opportunity for you to become the worst version of yourself or the best version of yourself. Amen. That's what it is, brethren. And if you become the best version of yourself, you will thank the Creator for the evil. You will thank the Creator for the chaos. You will thank the Creator for the terrors in the night. And I give Him all the glory. Because that has happened in my life. That is my story. I know it's true. The moment I accepted responsibility in my life is when everything changed. In this view, I see Yahweh as compassionate. And I see that His presence is with me even in the midst of my suffering. And I don't directly attribute all of my sufferings to Yahweh's actions all the time. He did this to me. and oh, No. No, I don't. I mean, look at Romans chapter 9, specifically, verse 17, where Shaul references Yahweh's use of Pharaoh for his purposes. Look about Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, in the 17th chapter, specifically, the 26th verse, where he speaks of Yahweh's sovereignty over the nations and his desire for all people to seek him. I'll return to the text. In verse 8, it says, Drop down, you Shamayin, heavens from above, and let the skies pour down Zedekar, righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth Yahusha, and let Zadokah, righteousness, spring up together. I, Yahweh, have created. Woe to him that strives with his makers. So this is a divine call for righteousness and salvation to rain down on the earth. Uh, I mean, the imagery of rain symbolizing what? Springing forth, abundance, blessings, and grace. And man, it can sometimes be depressing living in Oregon, can't it? So blooming dark and dismal. But then on a day like this, you're like, oh, it's wonderful. The sheep are in the pasture, the birds are singing, the sun is out, and it's so full of spring and vitality. It's the most beautiful place in the world to live on a day like today because it's not dry and barren. We're not getting bitten in the, by snakes. You know, it's safe as far as all of those predatory things, unlike, you know, Libby down in Mississippi, Louisiana, who's got to deal with, you know, vipers and all kinds of things trying to attack her at all times. You know, it's very dangerous down there. Here, we just have to watch out for wolves, literally and metaphorically. 
Anyway, I see it in the Brit Hadashah. We have this similar theme in Yahushua's teaching about the kingdom of Yahuwah, where righteousness and salvation are eternal. Matthew chapter 6, specifically verse 33. I'm going to wear that phrase out today. I don't know why, I just feel like it. Oh, because I heard it. Oh, because I, I know why. I know why, because I was watching a podcast of this quite intelligent person, and um, they kept saying pacifically, and they were really smart and intelligent, but I was like, why? That was, was like, man, they were really smart. But that was one word that they got fluffed up on, and they were fluffing it all the time. An earthen vessel that strives with him who made it, Shall the clay say to him, where have we read this before? Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, why did you make it like this? Or the handiwork saying to the maker of it, he has no hands. I mean, look at the futility. The futility of questioning or resisting Yahweh's divine plan. I mean, we have to embrace and accept because resistance causes chaos and explosion. The analogy of the pot and the potter highlights, of course, Yahweh's sovereignty, which we love, his authority over our lives, his authority over his creation. In Romans, in the ninth chapter and the 20th verse, of course, Shaul goes on about this imagery, reminding the Romans that Yah, as the potter, has the right to shape his creation according to his will. Not according to some gender bender doctor up at OHSU. Okay? Just saying. And I can say that because I still live where I can practice my sincere religious convictions. And I will always live by the word of truth. Woe to him that says to his Abba, why did you beget me? Or to his Ema, why have you conceived me? This says Yahweh, the Kadosh one of Israel and his maker. Ask of me the things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands command me. I mean, questioning Yahweh's plan and design, the absurdity of challenging divine authority. Job did it in chapters 38 to 39, where Yahweh questioned Job's understanding of his design purposes. Do you really know what's going on here, Job? Look at verse 12. I have made the earth and created man upon it. Even my hands have stretched out the Shamaim, and their entire host have I commanded. So Yahweh asserts his authority right here in the 12th verse, and he invites us to actually, what a concept, trust in his sovereignty over our future. That's it. And then we come to peace. Yahushua taught it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through verse 34, where he encouraged us, hey, don't worry. Be happy. No, he didn't say that. It's a song though, isn't it? <laughs> now, if I'd have done the accent with that, 
people have said, that's racist. It's racist. Where he encouraged ourselves <laughs> not to worry about the future. But he, he encourages us to get grief, see? To be happy. <laughs> no, to trust in his providence and care. Tamara is not amused. Ah, oh. Man, break the coffee maker. All right, I'll get back into the word that always sobers me up. I have raised him, verse 13, up in Zadokar righteousness. I will direct all of his halakha, his ways. He shall re rebuild my city and he shall let my exiles go, but not for a price or a bribe, says Yahweh Sevot. So this is a really a reaffirmation. Did I say that? Reaffirmation, excuse me. See, it's that like, you know, I was in England for a while and now I'm over here and I sometimes I befuddle the two. What was I saying the other day? We were talking, the children were talking about sandals and I was talk, calling them slippers. They're like, did you really say that? I said, yeah, I did. I asked for some slippers. But you meant sandals. Oh, they were slippers. No, slippers are what you wear around the house. No, not necessarily. So the reaffirmation of his role as creator, verse 13. He's emphasizing his power over authority, over all creation. It's just like the opening verses of the Gospel of John, is it not? This is, a, this, this is where we should actually, in this instance, turn to the book of John as believers, where Yahusha is portrayed as the divine word through whom all things are and were created. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Yahweh's power, Yahweh's wisdom, Yahweh's providence. It's throughout scripture and it is apparent. Embrace it, accept it, and you will be free. Verse 14. This says Yahweh, the labor of Mitzrayim, Egypt, the merchandise of Ethiopia. Oh, I met a Rastafarian last week from England, black guy from England. Didn't we, Moshe? It was really nice. Um, but he grew up where I used to live, in South London. And he was a genuine Rastafarian. And um, we were chatting it up. And he came all the way over here for a class that I was in with him. And uh, he grew up in Ethiopia. Uh, no, no, in Jamaica. He was in Jamaica. And then he came over to England in the 60s, which is very, very common. And he lived in central London, but he was a genuine Rastafarian. So we were actually talking you know, about the difference. But he was a Sabbath keeper by you know, very different beliefs because of Haile Selassie and the Messiah and things like that. But um, he was very clear, because he was talking to some Christians in, in our group too, that he's looking to Ethiopia, not to Jerusalem. But it was fascinating, fascinating. But he'd had a lot of run-ins with the police. <laughs> and he used to fight with the police. And might actually we were at a, class, a defensive weapons class and whatnot <laughs> together. Which, uh, but anyways, be that as it may, that <laughs> happened in my life. <laughs> Back on course. Oh, because Ethiopia, that's why. Okay. Too much coffee. The merchandise of Ethiopia. And the Sevians, men of tall stature, 
shall come over to you, and they shall be yours. They shall come after you. In chains they shall come over, and they shall fall down to you. They shall make supplication to you, saying, Surely El is with you, and there is none else. There is no other Elohim. So there is a time of coming. There is a time of coming. And I believe it's a coming quickly when wealth and resources will be flowing towards a chosen recipient. Who will that be? The Koresh, signifying the supremacy of Yahweh's divine favor upon this individual. What do I mean? Look no further than Mystery Babylon. In Revelation, Mystery Babylon is described as a symbol of power and a wealthy system, a wealthy city that embodies worldly luxury, wealth, and corruption. It represents a system of commerce and trade that is intertwined with spiritual idolatry and immorality. Is it not? Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. I can't believe I said revelations. That's like saying Pacific. Now, I've spoke about it in the Sukkot teaching. You know, the law merchant, the statutory law merchant under Edward I and during the reign of Edward I in medieval England. Now the law merchant, also known as Lex Mercatoria, has emerged as a legal system governing commercial transactions. Where do you think they get statutes from? And um, all of these, you know, revised stat... That's legislative. That applies to... You, only if you volunteer for it and have contract, and then you will be held to the letter of their contract. So, so, but no, 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 that's a different branch. That, what branch of government's that? Right? Separation of powers. It's legislative. That's an administrative tribunal. But let's get everybody in it. How do we do that? Well, we'll get it. Firstly, compel performance. Lex Mercatoria. It's the legal system governing commercial transactions under Edward I. It's facilitated international trade and commerce, but is also susceptible to corruption. Do you see it being used for corruption right now? Of course, my goodness. Look what they did to Russia. Sanctions. Look what they've just did to Trump. They're using Lex Mercatoria for corruption and exploitation similar to the portrayal of Mystery Babylon. You think justice is being administered justly? Look at the, the, the district attorney down in uh, George. Absolutely. Now it's all coming out. But this is all under their... Lex Mercatoria, statute law merchant. The synagogue of Satan were often involved in money lending and banking. Look what Liz Truss, is that correct? Look what she just testified to about what she saw as the levers behind the system. The synagogue of Satan are involved in the money of the lending of money and banking. This is the very essence of the world in which we live. 
due to restrictions on other professions. That is what the synagogue of Satan did. This led to the rise of banking dynasties like the Rothschilds who became immensely wealthy and influential. Read the book, The Creature of Jekyll Island. The Federal Reserve is about as federal as federal underpants, okay, or Federal Express. Anyway, here we are, living in a world, believing fiat currency is money. It isn't. It has value only because a government maintains its value. That's the only reason. Rather than being backed by a physical commodity, the establishment of fiat currency under the New Deal, March 9th, 1933, allowed governments to control monetary policy. And of course, Nixon finally put the last nail in the coffin in 71. So there's a whole group of people that have lived for their whole life under this fiat system, which is a creature of Jekyll Island, a creature of the mind. It's Lex Mercatoria. It's the statute law merchant to try and create debt, which is currency. Here's a charge. Here's a ticket. Here's the fine. What are we doing? Every piece of paper is a negotiable instrument that can create what? Is debt. If it's not addressed properly, and then debt creates currency. Why? How can they afford to give all this money to Ukraine? They're not giving money to Ukraine. They're creating more debt. They're throwing it on the, your descendants to the third and fourth gen. They have no, they don't care because that debt will create more currency in the whore's commercial system. Your descendants will have to pay to it for the third and fourth, but they don't care. Well, your taxes pay for the roads and the... No, they don't. Debt instruments, bonds, commercial bonds, municipal bonds. This is all part of the synagogue of... This was invented under Edward I. This is new. It's the new deal, though. I like the old deal. The establishment of fiat currency allowed governments to control monetary policy, but it also led to the issues like inflation and devaluation, which are rapidly coming on the horizon, brethren. The imagery of wealth flowing towards a chosen recipient represents the transfer of economic power and influence. This represents the fall of systems like the Mystery Babylon, the Law Merchant, the Rothschild Dynasty, the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the Vatican, the Rothschild's Dynasty. Wealth and power are ultimately going to be under divine judgment and retribution brought about by Koresh. 
and it's coming to a country of yours very soon. The reference to bowing down in chains prophesies a humbling. And it's, oh, I, I am so looking forward to that day. A humbling and submission of these systems before a higher authority, Koresh. Acknowledging the supremacy of Yahuwah. This totally aligns, I think, with the themes of judgment and redemption seen in the book of Revelation, where the merchants of the earth mourn the fall of Babylon. Revelation 18, verses 11 through 19. And Yahweh's ultimate victory over worldly powers, Revelation 19, verses 1 through 6. I mean, what we have here is a prophetic... Declaration of Yahweh's sovereignty over economic systems. Oh, I can't stand it, Matthew's. You know, my wife's most probably thinking this right now. He's going off on his politics again, crying out loud. But we are actually talking about Yahweh's sovereignty even over economic systems here. So I have to address it. Plus, I like addressing it too. You know, it's a warning against the idolatry of wealth. It's a warning against the idolatry of power. It points out the pressing importance of righteousness. Hallelujah. Justice. Hallelujah. In an economic practices. How we practice. How we interface with commerce must be righteous. It must be just. As ultimately, all true wealth and authority belong to Yahuwah. Not the synagogue of S.A. 10. Verse 15. Truly you are an El that hides yourself. O Elohim of Israel, the Savior. Isaiah again acknowledges the mystery. And they are mysterious, aren't they? The ways of Yahuwah. I mean, he reveals himself in such unexpected ways, <laughs> including the emergence of this Koresh figure that we're going to see in our lifetime, whom Yahweh is going to use as an instrument to befuddle the nations. Absolutely befuddle the nations. And he's also going to use him as an instrument to bring about his salvation and deliverance to those who have an ear and want to come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. There is not much time. Amen. This chapter, and you can read the rest because I have been banging on for way too long. I'm in trouble. But this chapter culminates with a universal invitation to salvation because Yahweh loves people. He loves us. He loves humanity. He's calling upon all nations. He's calling upon all peoples, including the survivors of the end time tribulations in Jacob's trouble, to turn to him, to come for deliverance, to come. Come now, today is the day of salvation, to come to redemption. Trust in him, accept him, and follow him. Give your life over to him. Turn from evil. Yahweh reaffirms his exclusive claim. 
He is the only one true living Elohim and Savior, declaring that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess and shall swear allegiance to him alone. The very language that Shaul uses in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. The ultimate victory, the ultimate sovereignty of Yahweh over all creation. Isaiah is emphasizing Yahweh's sovereignty. He is going to be faithful to you. He is going to be faithful to his covenant to all of the promises that he's made to the whole house of Israel. He is going to lead us out of mystery Babylon, but only if you come out of her. Because if you stay in her, you will be manipulated. Your RNA, DNA, maybe you'll engage in some mutilation, unnatural relations, Maybe you'll remove yourself from the natural order of creation because that's what Mystery Babylon is enticing you all to do. It's all around us. And as a result, if you do such things, you cannot be under the sovereignty of Yahweh because you have changed and are no longer creation of Yahweh. If your DNA is manipulated by RNA, then have you become a new creation? And if you chop off your members, then have you become a new creation? A new creation under the lucky Lucifer, yes. But not under the created order. He will deliver his creation. But he's not going to deliver the lucky Lucifer's creation. A concept of the mar- I identify as a pony today. Well, good on you. Isaiah is saying, repent. Salvation is available. But it is about Yahweh's sovereignty over his creation. If you go into the creation of mystery Babylon, which is enticed all around us, then he cannot and will not act against your will. Because you've now taken yourself out of the natural order of things. And you are in chaos. Which is the realm of Lucifer and mystery Babylon. I know that we are going to triumph. I know it. I know that we are going to see his righteousness. I know we are going to enter into the millennium. And I am looking to identify Koresh. That's all I got for you. Shabbat Shalom, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. It's good to be back. A little bit mad today, so apologies. Bear with me. A little rusty. But I'll get back. I'll get back into form. Just takes me a little, you know, a little rusty here today. A lot of distractions, a lot of caffeine. A lot of happenings in my life. So I might be a little bit, you know, mad. But bear with me. Bless one another. Put some comments down in the chat. I'd love to meet you, visit with you at the Passover. So please come to Passover. Go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. And do support this ministry, please. Even with your thumbs up, that's great. 
That's great because that gives more people the opportunity to find this channel. We're also over there on Odyssey backing it up, which is nice because of the old Rothschild YouTube thingamabob. 